you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. And, and today I have uh, with me Jay Abraham. He is incredible. We're going to talk so much about it, so much about marketing, so much about how you think about business. It's going to be a lot of fun. So please help me welcome Jay Abraham. Jay, how are you doing? Well, I'm wonderful. Thank you very much, Andrew. I appreciate uh, it. You, uh, we've been talking for the last 30 minutes. For folks yeah. who don't know Jay, I, I literally wrote down because I was wondering how, what is the best way to make an introduction for someone who writes incredibly great copy yourself and talks about it. So here's what I wrote and tell me how the copy is live. Give me feedback for this, okay? okay. So the copy I wrote for you and put it on LinkedIn was this. What would you pay for getting an hour with the highest paid marketing consultant in the world? How about I do it for you? Tony Robbins calls him a marketing master. Damon John calls him a mentor. Stephen Covey calls him the greatest business mind he's ever worked with. So here I am, live with Jay Abraham. Join me tomorrow. And there are like over like, like 500 people right as soon as that. So tell me, how, how did that copy do? That's uh, it's flattering. Thank you. You know, it's, it's, uh, you, should, you should share it with my wife who always says, Take out the garbage. Change the lights. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting. The more we grow, the more I think aware we are of our flaws. So every time I am blessed with a, a, a laudatory uh, introduction, while I am flattered and and grateful, I'm always humbled because I know how much I don't know and how much. I can't do, but I've been very blessed in my, in my career to accomplish a lot. And I've had the the chance to interact and contribute to people like Tony and Steven and, and Damon and a lot of other people. And I, and I'm, I'm thrilled that they, they have found meaningful value in my contribution, but I, I have a lot of humility as I've, when you get older, you get humanity and humility. When you're younger, you have arrogance and, ego, and egocentricity, but I don't have a lot of that anymore. <laughs> I, I watched, and we were talking about this earlier, I watched your, I think it's like 47 minutes or something like that, your documentary on jabram.com. So, and what's interesting is in that documentary, it's on jabram.com, you shared your whole story of all the different things that you've gone through. And what was striking to me was you shared that this was in the 80s where you were charging like $15,000 or something like that to be speaking at events and stuff. How, walk us through, how did you get into marketing? Uh, I'm the accidental marketing expert. Uh, this is, it's, it's, the story is really interesting, but it's a little sad. So, I got married the first time, and I'm not saying this with pride, but I've been married three times, still married, uh, in, when I was 18. I had no education. I had two children by the time I was 20. As far as a negotiable commodity or uh, in the employment market, I was very unnegotiable. And the only people that would give me opportunity were crazy but, but interesting entrepreneurs, and they wouldn't give me a salary. They'd give me a desk, a phone, a, 
uh, a chair. Computers weren't that available really back then. And they'd say, kid, if you can make anything happen, you can have you know, a percentage. When you only eat when you earn, you figure out very quickly what works and what doesn't and how much more certain things work. But I had a transitory trend and I would jump not from jobs, but to industries. And because I was paid variable, I sometimes would be involved in two or three industries at a time. And after about 10, I was able to figure something profound out. And this really was the denominator. I realized that people in one industry almost all followed the herd. Some were 10, 20% better, worse. Some were more inventive or innovative, but that innovation was within a pretty narrow band. And yet, if you look at 10 industries, people in industry A don't have a clue how industry B, C, D, E, F, G, Think they don't know how their strategic approaches, their marketing approach, their their access vehicles, their their business models, their value added, their sales approach, their lead generating conversion. And I was able to be the equivalent of the one-eyed man in the land of the blind, because I could take a concept that really was as common as dirt in an industry that you didn't know about, or multiple ones, combine them introduced them to an industry where everybody was doing pretty much the same thing. And pow, that's how we made ICIAT grow. That's how we made Entrepreneur Magazine grow. That's how uh, uh, we did gold, silver. Uh, that's how people I've influenced have grown massively. It's, it's, I, I'm probably not as bright as I am very good at pattern recognition. Hmm. Does that help answer it? Yeah, and, and what's interesting is, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you have worked with over 800 or 1,000 different industries? Yeah, I mean, we did, a, a, it's over 1,000 macro industries, and if you want to really be impressed, it's something like 7,124 niche, you know, sub-industries, but it's given me, it's made me the ultimate generalist, uh, and it's given me a, a, a spectrum of of perspective and a context of understanding that's uh, it's a little scary, but it's very interesting. I, I can only imagine. So, so I'm, I'm so I'm going to ask you like straight up questions as people yeah, sure. go for it. Yeah, I'm here. Go for it. Go for it. And I see here Nisha, Rennie, um, Amber, Joe, all of you guys. So put in your questions because I can see it, and we're going to literally pop in those questions. This is this is our time. So Jay. Lots of marketing and, and entrepreneurs watching this, listening to this right now. What would you tell some, a, a marketer right now, an entrepreneur who's trying to, to, make, to stand out right now with everything going on? What should he or she be doing? Uh, well, let me ask you a couple of, uh, it's a macro statement, and I'm going to ask a couple of calibration. Are we assuming they have a viable, successful business? Yeah, so I'll give an example straight up from Ricardo. Ricardo is yeah, yeah. asking like, He's a creator of content. He has created courses um, online before. Right now, he doesn't have a marketing engine so everybody could actually see that. So the people who know him know him really well. But right now, it feels like, well, so let me tell you one. I mean, I've created, you probably know, 30, 40 categories of of, uh, unique and preemptive business enhancement. Preemptive means it gives you like a moat. The, the, one of the things I tell everybody, and I did a quarter billion dollars of billion, like 250 million of seminars I created 
and I'm just saying this clinically, a $2 billion company from scratch. I always want to know who already has access to the market I want to reach is not competitive. How can I endear myself to them and structure some kind of a collaboration, a strategic alliance, what we call a power partnering, an endorsement, a reciprocity, a co-branding, because you shorten three things. You shorten the timeline, the credibility curve, you get direct access. And that's the first thing I would do. And there's a, probably 40 ways you can do that. The second thing I, I do, and most people don't understand this, and this is very mundane, but it's very powerful, saying it, it is almost everybody that has any kind of viable business product or service, if they analyze it, they get 10 to 100% of their revenue from referrals or word of mouth. Yeah. And yet, almost none of them have in place even one formalized, systematized, highly structured, uh, continuously adhered to for referral generating strategy, which is hilarious because a referral generated buyer buys quicker, negotiates less, buys more, buys more often, buys longer, more enjoyable to deal with, more profitable, costs nothing, and refers more people. And yet these same people will spend all their time and money on Facebook, and they'll go to trade shows when they're they can when it's le- when it's legal and acceptable and do exhibits. They'll do webinars and all the other stuff. Whereas if you just put in place two or three or four or five referral generating systems, you could double, redouble, redouble again, the quality, quantity, and expediency of growing your business for no cost, no risk, no investment. Because I've done, Jesus, so many thousands of industries, I've identified 150 separate referral generating systems that you could do at certain points, certain convergent points, certain seasonal points. But I'm just going through a litany. The next thing is if you want to stand out is understand that the person you're trying to reach, the decision maker, most people are very anal. They look at what they do in a very constrictive, very, very vertical sort of a manner. I'm selling uh, uh, whatever content. But if you think about it, the content buyer, ask yourself this, three things. What are they? They're man or woman, husband, wife, father, mother, brother, sister, parent, all these things. And they have other hopes, dreams, issues, challenges right now even more. So you can help them in more expansive ways to expand your contribution. Secondly, you ask yourself, what do they buy before, during, after, instead of what you're selling? And you either align with those things or if they are not very expensive, you acquire them and you contribute them. I can go on and on, and I don't want to be too rogue on you. Does that make sense? I mean, I did a whole bunch of And uh, here's what Amy is saying, right? Amber is saying, Amber is like, well, this is solid feedback, referral generating system. So that's really cool. There's a lot of um, folks talking about like joint vendor uh, partnership. People get it. What stops people from doing this? Well. I'm going to give you a, a very true observation. Uh, and this is, I, you know, I used to do very expensive, yeah. very extensive training and I stopped. And I stopped because I was sharing specific, empirically based methodology that I had used to create over $20 billion of, of enhancements, of revenue and profit enhancements. And I did 
you know, I have about, and this is, again, I'm flattered. I have about 100,000 success stories. That sounds really impressive, doesn't it? It sounds great. That means you have 100,000 ways of looking at things. But if you, well, I mean, I have that many companies, but if you look at it relative to the probably 20 million companies I've shared this with, it's peonic. So a lot of people, a lot of the things that I'm all about, I'm, I think I'm, uh, besides pattern recognition, I think I'm very good at critical thinking and consequential thinking. So that produces very elegantly simple connections that most people don't see. And I think that a lot of the things that I try to teach people are so super obvious that it is almost inherently rejected because they're looking for the next new exciting drug. Yeah. And, 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 but if you look at, at, at some of the greatest breakthroughs ever, they were very simple. They were just seeing what I'll call the money connection. That, so I think a lot of people reject it because it sounds too simple. And I think that they are, uh, they are intimidated and, and almost zombified by following their herd mentality. And then also, if you look at your field, Sadly, it is predominated by a lot of of linear minded but very brilliant technology people, engineers. Yep. And it's funny, I have a client that that is a very successful agency to SaaS type companies. Can you see me all right? Yeah, I can see you perfectly. My, my screen went down. And, and uh, they love me, but they said most of the, and this is not a diminishment, most of the CMOs are very linear thinkers. And yep. he said that the CMOs are under enormous pressure because they're supposed to do all these things and be omnipotent, and it's enormously pressurized. I have benefited, I'm hopelessly curious, and I've been able to travel. You know, we talk about this. In life, they say traveling broadens the mind. You travel outside your city, you travel outside your state, you travel outside your continent, you travel outside your, you know, your hemisphere, whatever it is. Well, when you travel outside your industry, the more you travel, the more possibilities, the more optionalities, the more combinations you see. But, you know, I think, well, you, you and I were talking, we had a, a delightful experience, geez, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago where you watched me look at a business in all of about an hour and a half and slice it, dice it, come up with all kinds of nuances, which I would bet money you didn't say that, but the most most of them I bet made total sense. Yeah. I mean, and that I, time it was like, I was like, wait a minute, we just got five different revenue streams that you talked about. And that's one of the concepts you talk about in your documentary too, which I think I, I wrote down somewhere which is like the diving board concept. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. But the point is uh, that that company you work for either did very few of them or they superficially executed. But I, I'm one of those people where in a very short period of time, I can take a life of experience, distill it, give it to you in five minutes. And I think sometimes it, it comes out so fast and simple that it gets discounted. They don't realize that it's the quintessence of basically processing a lifetime. It's, it's the adage, there's a story about Picasso. Did you ever hear about Picasso and the napkin? No, tell me the story. So it's supposed to be true. Many years ago, he was at a restaurant and the woman came up and said, oh, I love your work. 
would you, and she had a napkin. She said, would you scribble anything on this? And he did. He did a, a two minute, really cool scribble. And then he did another napkin and he wrote an invoice back then for $200. And she said, that's ludicrous. It took you two minutes. He goes, no, it didn't. It took me a life. Yes. I don't think people realize the output has nothing to do with all the various input, distillation, uh, slicing, dicing, reflection, evolution that goes on in a career to spit it out in five minutes, if that makes sense. I told, it totally does. Um, it, it goes with like every profession. A lot of people are in consulting right now, right? And they're trying to figure out how do, the, how do they help customers. At Terminus, for example, we're talking about we have a thousand plus customers now. And our rallying cry internally is that retention is the new acquisition. Yeah, you're absolutely right. People don't think about that. Right? It was, I, we didn't think about that, quite honestly. We were always top-line growth, top-line growth, top-line growth, and we kept growing in the last five years. But suddenly we were realizing, oh, my God, we need to keep these thousand-plus customers super happy. And as we acquired more companies to figure out a way to observe them, not upsell, but observe them with all I these- I love that word. That's brilliant. Well, I mean, you probably know this, and I, I'm sharing this not to be impressive, but to be progressive. So my career started with an awareness that you could work on the geometry of a business. Yeah. At the same time, effort, expense, resource, access could be used one way and produce X. Yeah. Use another way and produce 2X. But you had multiple impact or leverage points in the revenue system, each one of which could be enhanced. So the first thing I did was the three way to grow a business model. And and I did it because everybody I saw was fixated on acquiring new new buyers, clients. Yeah. And I realized that that is the longest, slowest, hardest, least least profitable. But the moment you get them, if you have a, a noble intention, getting them to buy more at the point of purchase, getting them to buy more often, finding more utility value costs nothing. Yeah. And 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 if you lose, and most people don't know their attrition rate, they don't know why they're getting it. They, they don't realize if you cut your attrition in half, it's like you know adding that to your growth. Yeah, big it's time. So much more profitable. And and to back to your point of creating a referral system, we have started to activate our customers to find like let help us find. Tell us who are you hanging out with, and we started doing it. So this is one thing we started to do, and I, I share this with. Uh, with everybody, we thought, we used to think doing the biggest event with thousands of people attending it was the most important thing to do because that we were on the hype cycle. Yes. And I'm curious, Jay, what, what, if you're seeing something similar happen because we're all going through these times right now. But what we found out, Jay, was right now we're doing VIP workshops with only 20 customers. Make, yeah, totally sense. No, We're yeah. having it out and saying only 20 allowed and we won't get any next one. We never ever did that. We said free, free, free. Every minute. It's 20 people at a time. Let's have conversations. Let's find synergies. And that's it. And move. They're, they're running like crazy. And they're, and they're converting, aren't they? Huge. Huge. Yeah. Well, I think that, that, that you, you nailed it. But let me give you a two. You, you introduced two different thoughts that I want to hit on for you. Yeah. The first is that that people get, I, I, I was very blessed. In one of my jobs, I was involved with a company that generated leads for people all over the world in the financial and, and high-end in, uh, intangible. And it was funny because most people felt that all leads were the same. When you look at 
lead or, or per, purpose uh, our, our buyer generation. You know, there's source, there's there's offer, there's you know, there's media, there's there's category, there's product service, and each one of those denominators produces a totally different value, yield, residual value, lifetime value. And most people spend too much or too little on what you call buyer acquisition because they don't they just allocate either a percentage or a certain cost, but they don't have any clue that eat there's so much variability in value. So so I have found that intimacy and quality always trumps quantity. Ooh, say that again. Say that again one more time. Intimacy quality will always trump quantity. And most people go the other way. That's the first thing. You said something else, which I'd like to, to, to address. I have a belief, and it's for high-end stuff more than anything, but if you say free, I think today, even though it's supposedly one of the greatest words out there, it is discounted so much. When I do anything, my approach is I will buy you two hours of my time, or I will buy you $20,000 of my time. And I can do that because I don't do a lot of one day consulting, but we get $120,000. So a couple hours of my time is really worth 20 grand. But I think if you buy somebody something and you say, the reason I'm underwriting the cost of, of sharing this $300 or this $500 experience that is that Someone has to take the first step and invest in the other. We here, uh, what's the name of the company? Uh, my company? Yeah. Yeah, Terminal. We had Terminal. We, we know that you're a good investment. You may not know us. So somebody has to take the first step. We're very comfortable investing richly and generously in our intellectual property and our knowledge and, and giving you insight, distinctions, understanding. Uh, epiphanies, connections that you can you can apply right now to your business because we know when you validate it, when you see the impact, and and the and the and the revenue implications, you'll want to reinvest more. And I mean, and, and there's a way to take them on a journey, but it starts with valuing profoundly the investment and and the action taking making the intangible concrete and valuable if that makes sense absolutely absolutely and again thank you ricardo and so many more people just joining in the stream right now and asking questions one of the things jay i would love for you to share because i've I've watched you do videos where you take examples of different industries and then apply it to an industry that is following the herd as you said earlier can you share an example of like all right in, in like, like, let's just say real estate is an example right now. If you're a commercial real estate person, like it's a really hard time for you to kind of figure out how to do it. But can that person learn something from another industry and apply that to their business today? Or any other example that, that shows that, okay, you need to start looking at other industries and here's something you can take from that and apply it to this, uh, another industry. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to go through my earlier life, and it's only because they'll be easy to example, okay? Okay. So uh, when I started out, I got into the investment newsletter business in the very early stages. All the people that were in it were very profound thinkers, but they were terrible marketers, strategists, 
businessmen and women, but they were able to build a following by that resonated because of the integrity and the value of their insight. But they never realized that they had access to people who were making significant decisions, investment decisions, real estate decisions, business decisions. We were able to get them to let me structure qualitative relationships with investment companies, business growth companies, because they were entrepreneurs, all kinds of product and services that no one would ever think about. And we ended up making over 25 times more from that back end, as I call it, than from the front end. Uh, I had in Australia many years ago that one of the earliest companies that sold CRM and they sold it to entrepreneurs and they were very expensive and they were running every trade magazine out there and they would get maybe a thousand leads a month. Yeah. They were converting about 3% and it was profitable because they were very expensive. But when I looked at them, I said, your, your sunk cost, let's call it a hundred grand a month. I don't remember what they were spending, but it was a hundred grand a month. They were, they were wasting 97 grand on the 970 that didn't convert. And I said, let's be really, rec- let's honestly, it, you know, CRM is not an exciting thing. If, if you're getting respondents, they want the value. They want the outcome. You're either too expensive, your terms aren't good, too many bells and whistles, too complex. Let's find somebody that has an entry-level one who can't market their way out of a paper bag. Let's get a private label or a license. Let's add some, bill- some bells and whistles and let's offer that as what we call a, a step down. We did that and we made so much more money on the people we originally did not sell mm-hmm. that our mainstay was all pure profit, but it's a different way of looking at it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, I can give you millions. We had, a, we had a client also in Australia that did entry-level homes mm-hmm. and they were spending about $15,000 a sale in newspapers back, back then. And, and we looked and we identified that the origin of most of their buyers were first-time buyers were coming from higher-end apartments. So we identified all the apartments, and the higher-end apartments usually had a waiting list. They were This is, was a time when it was not a problem. So I went to all the apartments, and we made deals where if we became the recommended home source, mm-hmm. they would promote us in many different ways. And when somebody would buy a home from us that they would refer to, we would pay them six grand, but we would also cover any shortage, uh, any gap in 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 rental from the from the vac- vacant uh, apartment for up to six months. Well, what that meant was literally. I'm just giving you some cool things. We were paying fifteen grand. We were going to apartments that had a waiting list. The maximum exposure we had was twelve, and we very rarely had to pay anything. And that just killed it. Uh, I'll tell you a couple more, but it's just yeah. thinking differently. Many years ago, I ran non-linear, we call non-traditional revenue. Well, I'll tell you a great story. It's not mine, but it was brilliant. And then I'll tell you some opportunities people should think about right now. They're windows that are so cool that if they don't yeah. hit them, it's sad. But many years ago, I worked for a company. It was brilliant. They were the largest consumer magazine in, in the country at the time went bankrupt, and they had millions of subscribers. And they they auctioned off the assets. The guy I worked for was very brilliant. We call it redeploying, redeploying opportunities, seeing ways to take something no one else sees and, and create value, cash flow, wealth creation from it. He bought 
the, this magazine was called the Saturday Evening Post. It was the biggest consumer magazine. He bought the assets. The assets included the unfulfilled subscriber list. It included all the archives. It included the covers of the magazine. The magazine had, had a relationship with a famous artist, Norman Rockwell, who painted beautiful, beautiful, expensive paintings. And every one of his paintings had become a cover. Yeah. The guy was smart. The first thing he did, he bought the assets, not the liability. He went to all 5 million subscribers with a letter that said, I bought the rights. I know that you had subscription obligations that you never got, and I'm not obligated legally to honor those, but I want to offer you a proposition. If you will resubscribe for three years, I will make up any unfulfilled subscription you've got. And he did that, and he got something like $25 million in cash. If you understand taxes on, on newsletter subscriptions, you only pay when you fulfill an issue. So he was sitting with the cash tax deferred. He got like 80% of the people back. That's the first thing. The next thing he did was he had a company uh, that made a product like, it's called Barkeeper's Friend. It was a utility product for cleaning like baking soda. And he ran two page ads in every issue and he got full distribution in all kinds of stores. And he was able to sell that product after he got distribution for about $20 million. Wow. He took the Norman Rockwell covers that he got the rights to, and he hired an attorney for $3,000 a month fixed to go out and license it to calendars, coffee mugs, and they brought in $5 million a year. I was responsible for one of, their, the, one of the dogs that he bought was a magazine called Holiday Magazine. It was a quarterly magazine like Travel and Leisure. I think Travel and Leisure is out. And did very bad because it was the third uh, in a in a three market uh, as a three in a three competitive market. It was quarterly, not monthly. So advertisers would hammer us down on price, and they wouldn't pay right away because they didn't have to. So we might sell them today and not get paid for six or seven months, and we'd have to discount. The page rate was ten grand. We'd have to sell it for about three, and it cost us about a thousand. So we made about two, but we had to wait six or eight months to get paid. I took, I found out that a lot of big advertisers had offered to trade, but they wouldn't do it. Airlines like Singapore Air, uh, hotels like Ritz, uh, but they didn't want it. And they didn't want it because they didn't understand barter. They didn't know what to do with it. Yeah. I went to all of them and I offered them to trade dollar for dollar. In other words, $10,000 worth of their credit for $10,000 page. I would not take the the trade unless I pre-sold it immediately six months before the ad ran for 50 cents on the dollar. That's five grand. We were only getting three grand for the ad if we sold it and we're getting five grand six months later and we, we created a profit center. So I'm just showing you some fun ways to think. I don't know if that is good or bad, but is that? Oh, that is crazy. That is crazy. I think I'm just like a type in what, what do you guys think about it? And I'm going to just drop in. We have, we have hundreds of, derivatives like that. I mean, stories that I can tell you. I'll tell you one uh, that's really fun. And then I wanted to give you some insights for your people. Uh, there's a couple that are fun. First of all, there's a, a story about Carnival Cruise that's hilarious. Carnival Cruise started with a guy that only owned one secondhand crappy 
little cruise ship and it went out and it was only painted on one side. He had to bring it in literally because I knew the guy that was his marketing guy. They had to bring it in every every time on, on the side that was painted. Ah. It was, and it would go out half filled, meaning 400 rooms were not sold. Now, if you look at value, it's a diminishing asset. You can't save those four. You can't have an extra 800 rooms next next ship. It's just gone. Yeah. 400 rooms, let's take today's value at $1,000 a week, $400,000 worth of buying power down the drain, literally. My guy realized they could go to radio stations, television stations, publications, newspapers, trade that credit for advertising. Yeah. So they traded every week $400,000 for advertising, but they were even smarter. They would let the advertisers have a two-year usage, meaning they weren't motivated to use the ad, the the births now, which let my guy put cash paying people in right now. If you understand time value of money, a thousand dollars in two years is worth a lot less than today. Right. And the guy also, when everybody redeemed it, he would charge a hundred dollars surcharge uh, for redemption of the of the of the certificates, and that covered all the the food and, and the housekeeping, and he made money on them with the excursions and the gambling. And most of them would bring other people and pay. So it was very interesting. Another really interesting story, people don't know this, Colonial Pen Insurance was started as an affinity organization. They were started to make group, group policies with, with affinity groups, organizations, and they didn't do well in the beginning. And finally, after a couple of years of frustration, one of the directors who was brilliant said, well, if we can't sell a group, why don't we start one? And they started one just to have a client. It was called AARP, American Association of Retired People. And, and they, did, you know, they did billions of dollars and created that entity. Uh, one more story, and then I'll tell you some things. And this is just yeah. to show you possibilities. There's a man in Northern California who many years ago was broke. He's a successful car dealer today, and he always loved Porsche automobiles, mm. but he could never even afford one. And he found out that a small Porsche dealer was being offered for sale in Northern California, even though he had no money. He went and applied, and he got all the material, and he scoured and read everything, and he saw a little element in the dealer regulations that gave birth to a brilliant idea. He found out that a dealer back then could make an unlimited number of cars available as demos. You know what a demo means? Yeah, like just to drive around. And, yeah. just- and the deal was they were not licensed, but they could be driven as new for up to three months or 3,000 miles, whichever came first. Then they had to be sold, but yeah. they could be sold as new, and he would sold as a discount. But he realized he, he, most people only put a few out. He could put every car out as a demo. Yeah. He ran ads all over Northern California that said, and this is years ago, drive a brand new Porsche automobile every year for life for a one-time investment of $75,000. And he got hundreds of people to pay it. He, he let them drive demos. Yeah. He, he, he needed a million dollars to buy the dealership. He got over $2 million, so he was paid a million dollars to buy it. When it wasn't equity. It wasn't interest-bearing. Uh, 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 loan. It was just money, and half the people who who drove one bought them. 
Yeah. And the other half became his greatest referral sources. I'm just trying to give you a few cool things. I mean, it's funny. It's so like I can I can show you like, you know, tweets and LinkedIn messages coming like this is hilarious. This is like crazy. This isn't even basic marketing. These are nonlinear ways of exploding your business with almost no risk and no investment. That's one of the things I've done all my life. What's what is what this is helping me recognize um, is the way we look at businesses is too lenient. It is. And I'm thinking about our own business right now. And I think we started with very specific thing. We're doing ads and we targeted ad. We talked about the account based thing. And then we acquired three other companies. You know, we acquired an email marketing company uh, for uh, digital ads with an email signature. And we just acquired a chat company. So you can literally have an ad all the way to a chat, all personalized experience on a website. And what I'm realizing is that, and, and you made this point in your documentary, is that most businesses have this drive, like diving board oriented yeah. concept where they just think about their business as one way to make money. And when stuff like this happens right now, that's happening everywhere, they're decimated. They don't know what to do. And I have a lot of people here right now where they're, they're like, gosh, I only knew one way of doing business. And I was really good at that. And I don't know what to do right now. What, what would you say to that? Yeah, well, uh, if you'll let me, I'll, I'll do an integration. Yeah. Because we, we do a lot of what I call what to do when you don't know what to do. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's one of uh, my or our strengths and ours, you know, my business, but it's mostly myself. So the first thing is you should know that I have, a, I mean, I've got all these theories on, on what, what, what solidifies and secures a business. And just to give you a, a one minute soliloquy on the diving board and in the Parthenon, I created many years ago, a concept called the, the power Parthenon of exponential growth. And the concept is most people build their entire business on one, pardon me, revenue source. And it looks like a diving board. The, the board is the revenue and the, yeah. and the, the, the beam is, is the source. If anything goes wrong with that, you're screwed. And a diving board is a propellant up temporarily, but in the process of going down, to, you know, plummeting to earth, I always get my clients to have optimally eight or nine pillars, but at least three to four. And when you start looking at a graphic with more pillars, you see two things. You see much more solidarity or security and, and stability but what you don't see is you're penetrating markets from many different vantage points. You're overlaying markets. You're getting access to markets you wouldn't have had. And in the same thing, I mean, I have a graphic that we show that if you had, uh, and this is going to be a little hard to fathom, but if you, I'm going back to the three ways and then I'm going to go to this. If you had a business that had a thousand buyers who were spending a hundred dollars each time they purchase, when I don't look at you, I'm just trying to think, so I'm not yeah. being <laughs> and they bought twice a year, it'd be a $200,000 business. If you increase, which is easy to do, all three of those categories, 10%, it's not 10%, it's 33 and a third percent. If you increased each of those 25%, it's more like 300%. If you doubled them, it's 800% because the power of geometry works. The same is true separately. In addition to that, add, add additive, if you start with one source, and you added eight sources, each one of which added five, seven, ten percent more. It's not five, seven, ten. It ends up being hundreds of percent more, and that's different than the three ways. So you got all these different ways. 
I have a, I can share my, I've got a bunch of concepts. I've got a concept called taking your business beyond your business profits beyond exponential. And it's almost laughable because it's so powerful and, and indisputable, but most people would never think about it. So you take me wherever you want. I've got these cool things that I can tell people they can do right now for their business, even if their business is against the ropes that nobody would ever think of. And that's probably more beneficial for this than talking about the others, but I want to do what you want. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things. I was just bringing up a question that's coming in from um, Matthew, Stephen there, right? right? And you can see this as well. Does Jay have any advice for marketers that work at large corporations that may not always be invited to contribute to more out-of-the-box ideas? And all the ideas that you're sharing, Jay, it is entrepreneurial yeah. in nature, right? Yeah, they are. You are a business. It's it's hard to think. The, way, the way that I've had to do it in my career is by providing empirical examples from other real life scenarios so people see that it's not just abstract conjecture. I would say, okay, here, here's how they do it at this business. Here's what it did. Here's how they do it in this business. It is, it, it is predicated on an empirically validated strategy or business model that kills it here. And, and then I will take, do a takeaway because most people don't understand you really can experimentally test almost any supposition conservatively. It may not be definitive. It may just be indicative. But if it shows sort of life, then you go a little bit bigger. Most people summarily reject some of the greatest opportunities in the world because it's either not what we do or they don't want to allocate a million dollars and they don't understand you can do it down and dirty. It's not perfect. It may not be absolute definitive, but if you do it in an AB or ABC test and it, and, and one way shows a little bit of life, then you do it a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. But I always with clients, the only way I ever got them to, even if I had a brilliant idea, they would always shake their head and I'd say, okay, let me tell you where that idea came from. It is not original to me. This industry does it all the time. This company uses it. This is the methodology that this company used to explode past everybody else. I am suggesting we take an integration of that, we distill it into a hybrid, and we test it in one safe little either media, market, salesperson, you know, uh, activity, and see if it shows even an indicator of life. And my friend, I, I would suggest that you keep doing that. And, and you can, there's, there's a concept called the Aikido School of Marketing that I learned long ago. You know what Aikido is? Now what's up? It's a martial arts that based, bases itself on using the power of the enemy against the enemy. Okay. So if you start by saying my management is not going to like this, my management probably won't see this. You start by disclaiming up front. You say, you're not going to like this and you're not going to see it. I know that. But let me give you some case studies from some other industries that might captivate your mind a little bit. Let me tell you where and how uh, a variation of that might make sense. Let me ask if we could take a small portion of a marketing budget and play with it. I have an idea. Here's how it might work. Do you have any ideas on how to evolve it and see what happens? I mean, I mean, if ultimately, if you believe in this, after a while, I would say consider 
another job. <laughs> it's, it's true. And I love the concept of testing. It's like I, every day, tell everybody in the organization today is that don't, you don't have to ask for permission if you're not asking me to change the entire business model. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to test something, go do it and show me. I mean, I learned variability in testing when I was very young, and, and we've used it. I mean, we've seen you change a headline, you know, it could triple your or quadruple or quintuple, you change positioning, it can have a, an impact, you change the pricing, you change the risk reversal, you change the proof, you change the call to action, you change the bonus. We've actually tested, I had a client many years ago that had a very, very, very large furniture store. And we tested 33 different ways of greeting somebody at the front door. Mm-hmm. And one of them tripled closures and more than tripled the average unit of sale. When you have that kind of potential in variability and you don't constantly experiment, it's, it's amazing. Now, one of the good things about today is you can get an app that's a freemium or a cheap one, and it can test some wonderful variables that in my era would have cost a million dollars and taken six months to find out. But I have another concept, it's called leverage marketing and it identifies 60 or 70 sub impact points in a revenue system that people never even look at. They look at some big issues, but they don't look at what you call everything is the last mile, so to speak, because if it breaks down, then you lose it. Even if you're good to hear and people, the, the big advocates for some of the big issues, you test your funnel or you test your this and you do all these variables. There's so much more because you're playing a long game. You're playing the game of lead generation, conversion, different valuations, depending on what you're selling, upselling, residual selling, cross-selling, better utilization, referrals, analysis of what you're learning. You didn't know you learned from that buyer group. I mean, there's so many things that people never ever look at. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I know we're running out of time. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and then we're going to wrap up and love for you to share a challenge with everybody that they should take action sure. on because this is, this is on fire. Okay. Brad brought me back to this and I'm glad. I'm so glad. Thank you, Brad, for raising this. Jay, you mentioned that, uh, and I cut you off, so I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I can do, do that. Yeah, please go ahead. Sure. So I've been interviewed by a lot of people and I don't do the normal stuff because I'm, you know, I'm not good at saying, okay, you know, uh, reduce your overhead. Here's what I say. There's five windows of opportunity and they're going to close rapidly as the world, as our world opens up. The first one is you'll never be in a situation again, where there's more receptivity to people wanting to do collaborations, strategic alliances, joint ventures, endorsements, power partnering, co-branding. If you don't try to source people that both, it's a two-way valve, have access to the same market you want or have products or services that your market would want and tie up deals with them that are very preferential, you are losing the chance to make windfall millions and also sustain. Number two, there are so many companies that were caught off guard and they're against the wall because they didn't have enough capital reserves to handle this. And if you can identify who they are, you don't have to buy them. You can acquire their assets, their buyers, their prospects, their URL, their phone number, their IP. If you've got a, a, a solid enough company and you can consolidate it, 
it's incremental. It won't cost you very much more to fulfill on that. It's additive. You should be able to instantly monetize it to your list. And then you pay the acquire the, the, the company you acquired it from uh, a royalty on profit or revenue, and they'll make more from you than they will trying to stave off bankruptcy. The third is that this is really interesting. In the Now, I guess it's 40 million unemployed people. If you look at it, it polarizes two different ways. Uh, a huge portion are low-skilled, and that's and there's, it's sad, and I have great empathy, but it's not relevant for this discussion. A surprisingly large number are super high-skilled, and they are out of work because either the function they were doing got minimalized or their salary was just so rich they wanted it off the cash flow. What people don't realize is if these people don't have non-competes, and even if they do, if the non-compete is limited, they before they lost their job, they had hard won, H-A-R-D-W-O-N, the, the trust, the access, the credibility, the, 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 the open-mindedness to decision makers that a lot of us would give our left, you know, what to have access to. These people are sitting at home, used to making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000. They're making a few thousand dollars, either a week or a month. They're, they're going crazy. They're going to be back in the job market, competing against tens of thousands and getting offers that are way lower than their income level. While they are still in stress mode, you can find them on LinkedIn and you can get them if they can believe in the quality, the veracity, the value of your business, your product, your service, you can get them to make introductions to you. You would never get access to ever again and just pay them royalty. The next category is salespeople. There are probably 2 million salespeople that are sitting around because either the product they were selling isn't being bought or the company can't operate right now and they desperately need money. You can get them, you can find them on LinkedIn or any other place. You can get them to do the other three things I talked about or just deploy them to go out, you know, looking for clients for you and pay them. And then the fifth is what I call option trading, but it's not option trading in stock. It's getting control of assets and access from other people. You tie up and then you figure out, you do a little validating test and see if it's worth you taking over or you can flip it like flipping a house to a third party. For example, I had a friend many years ago uh, who realized that our Rose Bowl in California only had a few events a year. The Rose, you know, the Rose Bowl, uh, UCLA plays on, you know, whatever, 20 Saturdays. But most of them, some concerts, it's empty 90% of the time. It's got huge parking facilities. He went to them and, and tied up the rights to do flea markets every weekend. It wasn't being used. He didn't know anything about flea markets, but he got a long-term renewable contract with a percentage payment to them. And then he found the top flea market management company and he flipped that right to them for a huge upfront cash and an override on the variable. Wow. Those are a couple of ideas. Well, those are on fire ideas. If people don't take... I'll beg people to take one idea and, and just, if you can watch this video for the full time, I'm going to go watch this again and I'm going to pause at each idea because there's so much in that for you to just take on and say, well, how do I go and create co-branding and, and, and collaborate with others? I feel of all the five, if I had one say to, to just support of all the five ideas, I think the number one, the collaborating with other companies and other people 
like our core branding, there has never been a better time to do that. Like I think almost everybody is ready to do that right now more than ever. And if people can take their egos out of the way and be open to collaborating, I think that is one reason that I feel people don't do that. Well, they don't know. I mean, I've done, I've got, we've done trainings. We have a hundred or 150 different ways you can do it. And it's really cool. And, and you have to realize that people look at it in the wrong context. They look at it, like they're intimidated instead of saying we're bringing value to them or they're bringing value to us because it's a two-way valve. You can take your product service out to all, I mean, you ask who else has access, the trust, uh, the credibility distribution to my target audience. But then you add, who's got products or services that I could bring to my target audience and monetize and extend the lifetime value? I mean, you could double or triple the lifetime value through this. And if you lock them up now, they can be enduring. And if you are a, uh, an asset looking for an exit, you might have just doubled or quadrupled uh, the value of your business if you tie it up long term with renewals. And if you do, and one more point. I have done this for clients where we became significantly uh, a substantial part of their business that we made one little light provision. If we become at least 50%, we get equity in the business equivalent for nothing. There's a lot of ways to do it. I hope this gets people's minds going a little bit. I think it's buzzing. Like a lot of people, like you can, I'll just put in here, like, you know, people think they're going to be binge watching it again. Like Bruce talking about like this rich wisdom chair. Joe, I know he's been like waiting for this. He's talking about like, this is super genius. So it's, it's like, it's, it's buzzing. So I'm, I'm this, obviously we went over time and Jed, I can't thank you enough for it. I love, I love sharing. I like opening people's minds to, higher and better ways to use time, opportunity, ingenuity, access, assets, tangible and intangible. And I've been very blessed. All the things I've talked about, I have done. So they're not, they're not, they're not theoretical. They're very real and they're doable. I mean, anybody can do a variation of this and, and the way, and, and, and more than the, 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 the stories, it's a mindset. If you, I mean, I think that what I'm very good at, is thinking differently. And if you can get people to look at something from a CAT scan perspective and not look at it in just the rigidity and the linear um, way that their industry does, then they're going to blow, they're going to blow out all kinds of opportunities. I, I totally believe that. So here's the challenge for everybody to come in looking. First of all, I'll put this on the flip my Funnel podcast as well. So there's like hundred thousand people listen to that. So you could uh, watch this again over there. Listen to this again. And then um, Monday, 9 a.m. Eastern, I do, I've started to do this since last week. I'm going to have people come in and pitch your idea, your business directly to me live here. And this is the way we're going to bring it. And maybe one day, Jay, we'll have you come in and like just be the guest of honor and say, all right, pitch your idea and we will oh, pitch That's great. That's great. That's very good. Well, this is fun. I hope I, I, hope I uh, not just added value, but ignited as you say a an area in people's mind that has been dormant because there's so much more i mean i i've been trained i mean, this is the fifth downturn or certainly the worst but i've been trained to ethically find the opportunity in adversity and i believe it's very important for everybody to i'll leave you with a, a simple distinction you're either a victim or a victor 
Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and it has it has to do with the strategic way you look at every situation. But there is a concept called optimization, getting the highest and best use. You fill in the blank of time, effort, opportunity, market, access, capital, human capital, relational capital, intellectual capital. But you can't optimize if you don't extend yourself to try to understand as many of the alternatives, the options, the possibilities that are available beyond and above however you are thinking, doing, acting, or transacting. Now, that's where you're real. That's where the alpha comes from. I love that. I love that, Jack. I, I'm like, I literally took, I'll show you, like I started with like just, and I just started notes and then I again started making notes. So this is really wonderful. And it's a gift um, that you've given because I know you are the highest paid marketing consultant in the world. And you're here. Well, one of them. I'm sure there are more, more high paid, but I, I've been very blessed to be able to command pretty good money. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, Jay. Thank you everybody for showing up. Well, see you hopefully 9, 9 a.m. Eastern and we'll do a live. You can pitch your idea to me and we'll go from there. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. My, my pleasure. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.